Amen. It is a joy to be with you folks. In 1982, I went on my first beach mission. And um, I remember when it came to reading the Bible and speaking about the Bible, I was very quiet. But when it was for the fun, I was up there somewhere. And it's because I'd become a Christian just a few months earlier and I'd never read a Bible. Um, now, I want you to imagine for a minute that you've been asked to run a youth program. So your job is to put together a series of programs, like a curriculum, to teach young Christians. Now, in your mind's eye, so this group meets once a week, in your mind's eye, just try and think what you might put in that curriculum. What would you like to be in there to influence these young people who are Christians for good? What would be the things you write down and say, this week, that week, next week, we're going to be doing these different things? But if I said this to you, can you give me your very top lesson? Your very top topic for that youth group. If you only had one topic to impart, what would it be? Nigel Robinson, I was speaking to him years ago, he said, if you teach people to love God's word and to pray, wherever they go in the world, they can be greatly used. And Psalm 1, we get some wonderful secrets of life. And it starts off and it says, blessed is the man. So it's going to talk about a blessed life. Now, let me ask you straight away, ladies and gentlemen, would you like your life to be blessed? It doesn't matter where you've come from, or even as a Christian, let's say, you've made a mess. Don't worry about that. But whatever you've got in the future, would you like your life to be really blessed? And obviously we'll be saying yes. Well, here we get the secrets in this psalm. So he's talking about, he's not saying, do you want to be a Christian? He's saying, do you want your life to be blessed? In other words, your life has been worth living. Look what he says. He says, blessed is the man. And he tells you three things you're not to do. It's the first thing he tells you. He says, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You see, life is about information. And information will inform decision. And if you're wise, you'll allow good information, wise counsel, to govern your life. So he says, don't therefore walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He says here, number one, they walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. They don't stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Is he telling you to leave planet Earth and live on another moon or another? Some... He's not telling you that, is he? not saying vacate the place. But he's saying, be very careful what you allow into your think tank, into your heart. 
You see, if you think about it, folks, there's about 60 million people in the UK and most of them own a TV. And the values that come through the TV set, and there are thousands of channels, aren't there, these days, often shape people's decisions. But if you look at the spring from which this so-called enlightenment through the TV comes and the examples that we get, you'll find it comes from an ungodly source. And he's saying to you, be careful that you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So he tells you, be careful about what you allow to influence you. Werner Wright was the co-founder of UBM. For those who never met him, he became the top authority in rheumatoid arthritis across the world. He worked full-time and he also did so much Christian work and was a co-founder with Lance Pibworth of Beach Missions. I'll never forget this statement. He said, when you are not saved, when you are not a Christian, the choice before you is between heaven or hell. But once you have become a Christian, your everyday choices will be between heaven and earth. That was a great summary, wasn't it? You see, he's saying, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, don't stand in the path of sinners, and don't sit in the seat of the scornful. So he tells you three things not to do. Now, then he tells you one thing you should surely do. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if you clutter your life with the thought patterns of this world, which sometimes can take you down to a sinful way of thinking, a will, or even you clutter your life with things that are just temporary and not eternal, then what happens is you will not delight in the things of God. Years ago on Beach Missions, uh, I was on a team with a young man by the name of Richard Cunningham. Richard Cunningham is the head of UCCF. And I, often when he was in a bit of a fun mood, he'd say to the children, if you get this answer right, you can walk up here, put your hand in the sweetie jar, and take out as many as your little grubby mitty used to call it, will hold. Well, the little kids came up. And one boy came up and he was holding a tennis ball or just a small ball. And he put his hand in the sweetie thing but he was holding the ball. And then somebody with a flash of wisdom said, Oi, put your ball down and you'll be able to pick up more. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll get rid of the world, you'll get an appetite for God. If you'll get rid of the counsel of the ungodly, don't walk in that, you will get a big capacity for the things of God. And if you don't, you'll find 
that you won't have the desire and the fire that you once had. Because when you become a Christian, your choice, says Werner, is going to be every day between heaven and earth. So he says, number one, don't do these things. Number two, but his delight is in the law of God Almighty. Now let me ask you a question. What do you delight in? What brings you alive? You see, if you want to know what people love, listen to what they rave about. It's not difficult. People who love golf, talk about golf. People who love train spotting, usually have blue cagoules on, talk about train spotting. Yeah? People who love football, talk about football. It's not difficult to find the sunshine in the voice that brings them alive, is it? Because they delight in that very thing. Look what it says here. But his delight by day and night is the law of God Almighty. Psalm 19 is very similar to Psalm 1. When you know God's word, it says in verse 7 of 19, the Lord the Lord converts the soul. There's every hope for people like me in 19 verse 7 part B. The Lord the Lord makes wise the simple. 19.8 rejoices the heart. If you want to be a saddo, don't read your Bible. Because the Lord the Lord rejoices the heart. 19.8b, it enlightens the eyes. And then 19.10, more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold. How can the world think like that? They rave about gold, don't they? They'll do anything for the extra 50p. But ladies and gentlemen, it's saying the law of the Lord is more precious than much fine gold. His delight by day and night is the law of God Almighty. You contrast with the thinking of the people of the world. Remember a few years ago, there was a a man in charge, the most powerful man on earth. His name was Bill Clinton. John Moore, what did Bill Clinton do? If you get this wrong, John, we send you straight back to P&E. You're off on the next plane. Come on. You couldn't make that out of a balloon, could you? No, there we go. (laughs) He was the President of the United States, the most powerful man, humanly speaking, on earth. Yeah? He had an affair with a lady called Monica and under oath he told lies. He didn't have much power in the moral realm, did he? Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer this has ever been, bless him, his life's in a mess. Not for what he did on the course, but what he does off the course. A few miles from where I live is a man called Wayne Rooney. Do you know he's the captain of our team and this week his wife is deciding whether to leave him because he gets drunk and has an affair in Cheshire. Just this week. See the throat patterns of the world, the fountain of their thinking will always come back to haunt them. But our delight if we're Christians by day and night is the law of God Almighty. Now, then he tells you one thing you become. When you get God's word into you and you live to 
please Jesus Christ, he tells you this. One thing that you'll become, the blessed life. It says, he or she will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. So he gives you a picture of what the Christian who's godly and blessed will be like. He says, they'll be like a tree planted by rivers of living water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Whatever he does shall prosper. Why does a tree need roots? Because the water and minerals needed for growth are below the ground and soil. Without a strong root system, trees wouldn't be able to stand tall and withstand high winds. And he says, you'll be like a tree if you put your roots down into God's word and find the living Jesus there. Are you doing it, ladies and gentlemen? I became a Christian uh, in 1979 and I was sort of about the beach mission place for a few years. But one statement by a young man by the name of Professor Andy McIntosh. You meet Andy this weekend. You remember him saying this to me. He said, Vinny, you've done a lot of beach missions now. You need to read the Bible every day. That's what he said to me. And I started. It was the end of the year. I was in Leeds. He was living in Leeds. And it was just before January the 1st. And I remember he said, look, it's next week, it's January the 1st. Why not start every day? I'd like to pass that information to you. Are you a person who each day gets into God's word? And if you really want to be blessed, get yourself not only a Bible, a little book and a pen that works. Give it a press and a push and you'll find some ink will come out the other end. And whatever you read, make notes. Because as you express on that paper, those words will go deeper. You remember it photographically. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water that brings forth its fruit in its season. In other words, you're going down into God's word and God's word is getting into you. There's a man in Manchester, his name is Greg Hanley. He's nearly 60 years of age and I spoke to him on the phone this morning. This is what he told me. He said, 50 years ago, he said, I was on a beach mission, 40 years ago, he said, I'm on this beach mission and I'm in the Isle of Wight and it's my very first beach mission. And he said, I couldn't sleep. He said, I was a scouser from Liverpool. I couldn't sleep, he said. And he said, but next to me was a man called Lance Pibworth. And he said, I noticed he couldn't sleep either. And we were sort of moving in the night and everybody was quiet. And he said, all the other people are on camp beds. And Lance Pibworth, the founder of UBM, said, uh, Greg, how long have you been a Christian? And Greg said, well, uh, about a year, Lance. So then he said, uh, how many times have you read the Bible? And he said, well, well, not quite once yet. And then Greg said, I was a bit of a cheeky scouser, so I said to him, what about you? <laughs> that was a bad question from Greg's point of view. Well, last year, it was seven times. All the way through. 
Do you know what we're producing in our country? Christians without Christian minds. His delight by day and night is the law of God Almighty. Are you in God's word? Do you rave about God's word? I don't expect you to be, you know, a nutcase. We've got too many crap pots in the Christian church. But I want you to be balanced. But are you a person who's loving God's word? You see, when you get to know God's word, you bring to bear on your life wisdom. Because it enlightens the eyes. Makes wise the simple. But think about it. By the time you get to 28, you've probably decided what job you're going to do. You've probably decided that half the population are a different shape to you and you might actually be living one called marriage. Yeah? And you'd be probably deciding where your life work is in your church. But at that end of your life, you've got least amount of knowledge in God's word because you're probably not ready as much. So isn't it wise to stock up on the wisdom of God, his delight by day and night is the law of God Almighty, so that you can make wise, informed decisions. Notice what he now tells you. He says, you'll be like a tree that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. We can all picture a tree. We can all picture fruit. Here's a very simple lesson. Have you ever seen a tree eating the fruit? No. So the fruit is for others. The blessed life always lives for others. Do I live for other people? Are you living for other people? When I was a young Christian, sometimes I'd show up at uh, Roger's house. About one in the morning, two in the morning. <laughs> one famous phone call. I won't take the phone call. He'll always remember it. But often I'd go to Steve Taylor's at 10 o'clock at night. I'd, I'd moved to Liverpool. Well, I didn't believe in sleep and Steve did. So at 10 at night, I'd come in, bro, said Stephen. In fact, Stephen's, he said, we're going to call you Nicodemus because you're out at night. That was his nickname for me. But none of them people ever turned me away. And I used to sit and talk to them and other people too who I knew in missions and church leaders asked them loads of questions. And you know, them people had time because they knew the power of a shared life. They knew to bless people you've got to sometimes go without. They knew the power of fruit bearing. And I was on the receiving end so it now becomes me to be a person who fruit bears as well. And if you put your roots down into God's word, you too will begin to fruit bear. You'll care about other people. About six weeks ago, there was an event in Southport where I live called the British Open. What do, what, does anybody know what that is? Well, it's about some millionaires hitting a little white ball around a field. It's called golf. Yeah? 235,000 fans went on in one week to watch that event. I put in the church notices 
please come and help us reach the lost. Nobody helped. Nobody. But it happened eight years earlier. We've had the Olympic torch. Nobody. Thousands short to watch the Olympic torch. We have county cricket matches. Thousands of people are there. And just a handful of people when the need is massive who've learned a lesson that says fruit is not for me. Fruit is for others. Have you got a fruitful life? Have I got a fruitful life? Jim Elliot said those famous words, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep his life. You can't hold it back, folks. You know, the next time I meet you, sad to tell you, be less heartbeats than you've got now. Who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, live for the next world. Look at the life of Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he's blessing people. He's talking to a massive crowd of people and he's interrupted and the fella comes through the roof and he makes him better. He's on the cross and he unites a family. He blesses people. He gives hope to a dying thief and salvation. He prays for his enemies. He's walking to Jerusalem and a blind Bartimaeus screams, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bring that man to me. He's giving and giving and giving. And he's giving to people at times who are unthankful. And where are the other nine? The ten lepers. And where are the other nine? You see, ladies and gentlemen, the fruit-bearing Christian learns to give. Are you a giver? Because it starts by getting a heart for God through his word, reading it, a daily dogged habit of getting God's word into you so that you don't allow the world world to push out and put into you worldly thinking that's only short term. And often can lead to disaster. And fruit is always for others. Am I living for others? And he says, whatever he he does shall prosper. Now, folks, you must know by now, that doesn't mean we all become millionaires. But it's the values of heaven that are now exhibited through the Christian on earth. And this world is upside down, folks, when it comes to who's doing what. But you're living for God's glory. You won't fit in here. Don't expect to fit in on planet Earth. You're of another realm. But while you're here, bless people. Take them with you to heaven. But be a blessing to them and help them and get that fruit out. Because what we think will shape the way we reason will inform our decisions and it will ultimately shape our character. Now, I want to just say this to you folks, that the observation of life, to me, seems that it's easy to jump on board and be a Christian, but after a few months or years, I keep finding people who've either gone dry, sideways, struggling, And I'm asking the question, why? Because if you're a keen Christian and you meet that, it can be a great discouragement to you. So my mind asks the question, why? 
Why do so many Christians seem to lose the interest and the fire for the lost and the excitement of the Christian faith? And they get involved in this or they get involved in that. And you ask them to, let's say, do some gospel outreach work and few of them show up. Or nobody's instigated it in the first place. Why is it? Well, I think that what happens is this. There are some things that your head alone cannot take in. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's imagine I said to you, I'm going to tell you what the sun is like. Now, it's approximately 93 million miles away. Now, does anybody want to disagree with that? I mean, I think that's a fair statement. We've all known 93 million miles, million miles over the years, haven't we? Okay. And we can even tell you the temperature when you get there. So what I've, what I've told you is two simple facts. This is the temperature. This is the distance. But there are some things you can't take in. Tell that to a man in the Antarctic. And then say, now come with me. We're just going to the Gobi Desert. Or we're going to the Californian Desert. The facts don't mean much now. But when he feels it on his skin, he experiences the sun. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what's happening in our country? I really believe this with all my heart. We've got people preaching, giving us information without fire. Do you know why? Because the human heart needs to grasp the fire. Do you remember the Emmaus Road? Jesus had risen from the dead. He walked alongside some disciples that were heading seven miles away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And he drew up next to them. They didn't recognize him. And then he did a Bible study with them. He said, what are you talking about that you're so sad? He said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? You don't know what's happened to this person called Jesus? There's Jesus right next to them. And then at the end of that conversation, this is what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures? Did they say, did not our heads burn within us? I can tell you all about the sun, its temperatures, how many miles away. But you've got to experience it. I can tell you all about the Lord Jesus. But what I want to do is I want to meet him through his word. Jesus' word to the Pharisees was, you search the scriptures and you do well. But these are they that testify of me. What was he saying? You're lacking the life. And ladies and gentlemen, what we've got to do is put our roots into the word and find the living Jesus. Do not stop until you find the living Jesus. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to meet with you. Because Jesus didn't say, I've come that you may have information. I have come that you may have life. And life in all of its fullness. The world is screaming for life. Screaming. Silently screaming at every one of us every day by the way they perform. That I need life. And Jesus says, you get it? Meeting me in the word.
And what an opportunity now when you're young, some of you, to say, from today, I'm going to get God's word into me. It was said of D.L. Moody, the man who wasn't very good at grammar, the American evangelist, when they went to criticize his preaching, they said, Moody destroys the Queen's English, but he speaks with a power outside of himself. What did he got? A grasp of God's word that he unleashed. And people felt it. He got more than information. He got life. And ladies and gentlemen, we read the word, and that's great. And we read the word to inform us, but we look for Christ through the Bible all the time. Now, last question before we finish. Do you remember Jesus said, build your life on rock, not on sand? What was the difference between a man who built his house on a sand and his property collapsed in the storm and the man whose house that stood firm on the rock and when the storm came, he was okay? What was the difference between those two stories? This is it. I will liken him unto a man who hears my words and does it. You build on the rock. You know it, you do it. You know it, you do it. But ladies and gentlemen, you've got to know it, haven't you? And if you're going to love the things of the world, and they'll be very legitimate things, that will crowd out God's best, which is his word and heaven. And you'll peter out as a Christian. So you've got to say, like I had to say, and for me, my great God was football. So at the age of 19, I had to take hold of football and say, Vinny, it's too big in your life. It's now got to go on the altar. And that, to me, was a massive thing. Toza had to put his daughter, if you like, metaphorically to the sword. Because he knew that he loved his daughter and he treasured her and he thought, if God gets hold of her, where can she go? But it could be something else for you. Might be your career. Might be your money. Might be a girlfriend or a boyfriend. For me, it was a round ball and 11 others to kick it to. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll get rid of the world then you'll get more out the jar. You'll get more out the word. Will you do it? And let me tell you this. You're heading into a society in our country where it's going to be tough to be a Christian. It is, folks. We're getting stopped in the streets and in legitimate places from speaking God's word in a country that says freedom of speech. So count the cost. But I'll tell you something. The blessedness of living for Jesus. So that at the end of my days I look back and say, Lord, I did my best. With what you gave me and who I was, I did my best. Blessed is the man, the woman, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight. Now, then finishing... It says this, the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff, 
when they used to take the wheat with the chaff, they'd throw it up in the air, and when the wind blew, the wheat and the chaff, only the wheat would come down and land safely, and the chaff would just blow off into the wind. That is what's going to happen with every individual in this world. Nobody gets away with it. The Lord hasn't lost the plot. He's not fallen asleep and forgot about them all. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, eternal judgment. You listen to the men of the world, so we, we bury Bruce Forsyth. Oh, he'll be having a party up there. Will he? It's fanciful thinking, isn't it? How do you know if you've never been? But we've got somebody who has been. Knows exactly what's beyond the grave and comes back and I am the truth who cannot tell us a lie and therefore tells us exactly what to live for. So my plea to you this weekend as we start our Bible studies together is read God's word, love God's word, devour God's word, become an authority on God's word and share God's word lovingly and kindly and then live God's word. Moody said the best version of the Bible is always wrapped in boot leather. In other words, the life lived. Shall we pray?